I went to the letterbox one day, there was a, a letter in there, and I thought, hey, who's writing to me? And I, oh, perfume. I looked on it, and there was nothing on the on the back of it to say who it was from, but the perfume I recognised. And I thought, yes, there is a God. Hi everyone, it's been a while, but yes, at long last, the lip is back. Now, there's a reason I'm back on February the 14th. It's Valentine's Day, and this is a love story. It's about two people, Veronica and Bruce. That was Bruce at the top of this track. Theirs is a tale of human connection that spans four decades and has overcome what seemed at the time to be insurmountable obstacles. Just a warning here. This story involves some heartbreaking instances of cruelty and violence. So if you're squeamish about that kind of thing, you might not want to continue. It was a cold winter's day in 1978, and Bruce Oppett was running some errands in the Hawke's Bay town of Hastings. He was 22 years old and was at a bit of a loose end in life. He was living with his mum in Havelock North, and I guess you could say he was feeling a bit aimless. It was a pretty quiet time back then. At that stage I was feeling a bit lost, didn't quite know where I was heading, and pretty much just meandered through. Most of the time it was uh, spent fixing cars, going fishing if I felt like it, when I wasn't working. Walking along this particular road, I, I noticed this young girl, and I thought, oh, crikey, she's a bit nice, but, you know, I never even thought I had a rabbit's chance of, her, you know, getting together with someone like that. He didn't know it, but Veronica, the girl he'd just clapped eyes on, was dealing with a lot. And when I say a lot, I mean more than many people have to deal with in a whole lifetime even though she was only 15. So for now, we're going to park Bruce on that Hastings Street back in 1978. We'll come back to him, I promise. And we'll talk about Veronica. So Veronica's mother, Mary, had married when she was very young, but had four kids in quick succession, two boys, and then along came Veronica and her identical twin sister, Kay, in 1963. Mary didn't cope well with motherhood, the kids were often farmed out to other people, and she had an affair with a man who she ended up having a fifth child to, another little girl called Tracy. As you could imagine, in the 1960s, that went against everything that was considered decent in society. And it wasn't long after that that everything turned to custard. One hot day in 1967, Mary and her boyfriend packed all five kids into the car for a day out, Here's Veronica. All of us children were taken out to a beach called Castle Point. My mother and her boyfriend said that they'd forgotten something in Marston, which was quite some kilometres away. And they left us children on the beach. And they took Tracy back to town with them because she was only a baby. They left us out there and just 
pair of knickers, no food, no water, no nothing. We were there several hours. I can't remember how long, but I know it was a long time. We were very hungry and thirsty and burnt and lonely. Where was she? And um, we're thinking, what do we do? And these people, I don't know who they were, but these people found us and took us to their house and gave us some food. And I was so hungry and so frightened and so scared that we all just clung together like a unit. Soon after that, the children learned what had happened to their mother. On the way back into town, there was a car accident. My mother was killed. I was three and a half. Next thing you know, there was a person in a police uniform come with us. And they took us. I can't remember where it was, whether it was a police station or what. There was a man there saying, your mother's dead, suck it up and get on with it. The Social Welfare Department, which was the government organisation that dealt with family matters in that era, stepped in. Veronica says her father John wanted to raise his four kids by himself, but in those days it wasn't considered appropriate for men to be single dads. It sounds ludicrous that a government would deny a responsible biological parent the right to raise his children, but back then, things were so heavy-handed, kids were sometimes placed in care simply because their parents had separated. Veronica's father fought hard for his kids, she says, but ultimately, he lost. Instead, the state split the children up and put them into foster care. Veronica drew a short straw. She went into a social welfare family home, a situation, she says, where she was just one of many kids being cared for by a set of foster parents. More often than not, their sole reason for being foster parents was the money the state paid them. The memories of her early years are so painful that all this time later, Veronica still can't talk about it without breaking down. Everywhere I went, People didn't want me. They only wanted the money that came with me. And if they felt they weren't getting enough money for me, I don't want you. People would say, do you want to go for a holiday? And you go, yeah, holidays. Everyone likes a holiday. Not realising it was a one-way trip. So you never got to say goodbye to your friends. And if a car turned up, with the Department of Social Welfare on it. You don't talk to them that bad. It was like I was being punished for my mother dying and what had I done so wrong? By the age of 15, Veronica had been through 21 foster homes and gone to 17 different schools. She'd never had a birthday party, never had a new dress. She didn't own a pair of shoes from the time she went into care at three and a half until she was seven. Early on, she gave up on having friends. Because I moved so often, I couldn't really make friends because I'd think to myself, why make a friend if I'm going to lose a friend? 
I didn't want to have that hurt again and again and again. So I had no friends. But that was the least of it. She also suffered every type of abuse in those homes, physical, emotional and sexual. One of her most traumatic memories is of a father and son taking turns to hold her down while the other raped her. She was 11, she says, and when she tried to tell an adult what had happened, no one believed her. They said she was making it up. I thought, perhaps that's all I was good enough for. I thought, perhaps, that was all I was good enough for. Veronica has so few happy memories of her childhood that the handful she does have stand out like beacons in the dark. Some are of her father because while he wasn't allowed to raise her, he was allowed to visit and she adored those visits. One day, she says, he arrived sporting a big bushy beard and she cried because he didn't look like her father. The next time he visited, he'd shaved it off, just for her. It might seem like a small gesture, but to Veronica, it was proof that love existed. Still, by the age of 15, which was when she met Bruce on that cold and windswept Hastings Street back in 1978, she was deeply damaged. I was angry. I was hurt. I was confused. I blamed myself. I felt alone, like I had me to rely on. I just had me. I thought I'd be treated like garbage all my life. But where there's life, there's hope. And so I just hoped one day that I would be good enough for someone to care about me and not want anything from me. Just be there for me. One morning, a few months before her 16th birthday, Veronica got up as normal at 5am and did her chores before heading off to school. But by two in the afternoon, something in her head snapped. She'd had enough, she decided. School hadn't finished yet, but she wasn't hanging around. She walked out, and not far from the school gates, she stopped to think about what she was going to do next. And that's when I saw this person coming, and I looked at them, and I thought, you're the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. I didn't know who he was. I just looked and I thought, I need to know you. Like he was a magnet. I was drawn to him. He looked at me and I looked at him and we started talking. She had gorgeous sandy blonde hair, the most gorgeous eyes I'd ever seen on anybody. And I thought, oh my goodness, she is gorgeous. And thought, yeah, righto, mate, yeah, haven't got a hope in Hades. We spent probably 45 minutes to an hour just talking about things and everything just sort of followed on from there. She came out to where my mum was living and mum thought she was just a cat's whiskers. Over the following weeks, Veronica told Bruce a little of what she'd been through, but there was a lot she left out. I didn't want to scare him off because I thought if I told him everything, he'd be gone out of my life. So I just had to tell him just 
little bits, I didn't want to lose the one and only true friend I had now. Even though Veronica didn't tell Bruce about the more horrific things she had endured, he sensed she'd been through a lot more than she was letting on. Very hurt person in a lot of ways. It very much brought out a protective streak. And I promised her I would never let anybody hurt her. There was an almost seven year age gap between them. And many people, even today, would consider their young relationship to be inappropriate. But Veronica and Bruce didn't think so. Not then, not now. What I would say to them is, don't be critical. Because love is not a timed thing. Love will strike when it strikes. I mean, Cupid's always got arrows. And if he thinks that now's the time, then now's the time. Her nickname back then was Angel because just being in her presence made me feel like I was flying and nothing could touch me. Being friends and talking and connecting with each other. When I was in his arms, I felt safe and secure and protected. I felt safe for the first time ever. Two weeks after they met, Bruce confessed. I'm starting to feel like I'm falling for you. And she goes, snap. She says, I'm feeling the same too. And that pretty much confirmed everything for both of us. And we were just walking on clouds. Take a guess where I stand. Pick a number. Take a look the back of your head just like you know it you know me too A few weeks later Veronica's social worker caught wind of their relationship and forbade it I tackled her social worker over it I says how dare you sit in your cushy office on a government salary and play God with a person's life. Instead of ending things, they went underground. We couldn't be seen uptown walking around because social welfare was in town, the office, and you never knew where her social worker was going to come out of her her closet and and catch us, so... uh, We were very careful about where we met. Normally we met up in the park, which was, you know, just along the road from where she was living. Just sit in the park, talk. We were always holding hands whenever we were sitting together. I thought, how did somebody like me end up finding somebody like her? It felt too good to be true, but... It was true. We'd been seeing each other for probably three months and 
I said to her, you know, given the opportunity, I said, I'd love to marry you when when she was old enough for us to get married. So um, I says, how would you feel about getting engaged? <laughs> she pretty much turned around and said, well, hell yeah, now it would be good. <laughs> and um, that was sort of in between the tears from both of us. I said, well, how about we just go and have a nosy in the jewellers and go and see if we can pick an engagement ring. And I says, I'll, I'll have to pay it off because you know what I was earning at work wasn't a great deal, but it was still earning money. And um, we went to jewellers in Hastings and we spied one that was very nice and it was a sapphire and diamond um, engagement ring. It was London Bridge setting. We both cried in each other's arms after I'd put the engagement ring on her finger. She goes, oh, that's absolutely gorgeous. Bruce was 22. I wasn't quite 16. But we knew in our hearts that we were meant to be and it was something for me and him and us. Since 1477 when Archduke Maximilian of Austria ordered up a ridiculously big sparkler for Mary of Burgundy, engagement rings have been a symbol of betrothal. But in Bruce and Veronica's case it was also an attention grabber just at a time when they were trying to fly under the radar. We were advised to keep things very quiet, which we did, because the less intervention we had from social welfare, the better we liked it. They found out you can't keep secrets from the government. They found out about our relationship. This is not right. You shouldn't be doing this. I said no. You can't take me away from my friend. Don't take me. Almost immediately, her bags were packed and she was driven to Bruce's house. They said you had to go into that house and give that man back his ring because you won't be ever seeing him again. They stayed outside and made sure that I took the ring and gave it back to him. It was a knock on the door. Here was Veronica on the front doorstep in tears. And she says, I've been told I have to give you the engagement ring back. We're not allowed to see each other. And I went, you what? The last I saw was Veronica walking down Mum's front step. He was absolutely devastated. The look on his face, I'll never forget it. All we wanted to do was grab each other and just run for the hills. That night the sky was hanging upside down When she headed south to a different town Far away from me, far away from every little thing that held her down Now all my flowers have turned to sea I fell to pieces because it sort of took away everything that was good in life. 
in just a matter of seconds. And I didn't know how I was going to cope. I decided to go and um, have another go at her social worker. And uh, she says, it's none of your business, stay out of it. I says, well, actually, I said, you're wrong there. I said, it is my business. You took somebody very special away from me. How dare you? I says, karma. That's all I said to her, karma. They were God in, in their eyes, and they could do whatever they wanted. And it made no difference. They still did what they wanted to do. After handing back the ring, Veronica was driven two hours south to Palmerston North, where she was placed in a disciplinary girls' home. Her treatment there was no better than what she'd endured in foster homes. In fact, sometimes it was much worse. The memory of her time there is so traumatic, she can't talk about it without her voice shaking and tears running down her face. The way the staff controlled the girls in that institution, she says, included being made to sleep on the floor. She was forced to have cold showers and was given bread for lunch with nothing on it. Some mornings she was up at 2am scrubbing the brass with a toothbrush. And if she'd transgressed in some way before a visit from her dad, she was taken to the doorway of the home and he was told to go away. Her one lifeline was that she was allowed to send letters. It was probably a week or so later I got a letter from her that said where she was. I felt elated that I'd actually heard from her and that at least we had some form of contact. And from that time on, we were sending a letter to each other every day. I wished things were different, but I was content for now just to be able to get a letter from her well, all her letters were vetted and if they didn't like what they saw in them they would black it out with a felt pen they'd black it out so you couldn't read it I was told by her social worker under no circumstances was I allowed to go and visit her otherwise the police would be involved One day during this time Veronica says she tried to run away to get back to Bruce she jumped on a pushbike and started riding the 160-odd kilometres to the Hawke's Bay. Staff from the girls' home caught up with her 20 kilometres down the road in the Manawatu Gorge. I thought they were going to kill me, she says. They hurt me so bad, I wanted to die. She can't bring herself to talk about the details of her punishment. Put it this way, she says, you wouldn't do that to a rabid dog. been about 18 months we'd been writing to each other and then for some reason the letters just stopped arriving and I thought oh that's not good what have I done to upset her so I wrote another letter to her and I says have I done something to upset you if I have I am deeply sorry let me know what it is and I'll put it right 
I never got a reply. Confusion? Hurt? I thought, well, I must have done something. And I, I thought that Veronica didn't want to tell me why or what I'd done. So that was it. Everything fell apart again. And I don't mind admitting it, more often than not, I cried myself to sleep and kept on hoping above everything that I would hear from her. But it never happened. Does it ever change for us, folks like us? I never gave up hope, but I gave up trying. I spent a lot of time worrying about how she was, what was she having to go through. I'd made her a promise that nothing would ever hurt her again. And suddenly I couldn't do anything about it. But in the back of my mind, I thought, one day I'm going to get the opportunity to put this right somehow. Because Veronica was in a disciplinary girls' home, she wasn't able to just walk out the doors when she turned 16. She was finally released when she was 17 and a half. By then, she says, she was beyond repair. She was turned out onto the streets with no life skills, no idea how to look after herself. Her father lived a few hours' drive away, and he didn't have a telephone, so she couldn't contact him. She returned instead to Hastings, and for a while she was homeless, and slept on the floor of a public toilet. She knew Bruce wasn't far away, but she was beyond being able to reach out to him. I wanted to find him, but I, I think I was just so broken, physically, emotionally, every way possible, that I couldn't think straight. My logic, I call it fuzzy logic, I couldn't put things into, into squares. I was confused. I thought if I stayed put, that my Bruce would find me, that he would know in his heart that I was close by. I'd been put down and put upon so long that I was broken. And I didn't know how to get out. Gradually, Veronica found a way of reconnecting with her siblings and also her father. The years rolled by and she and Bruce didn't find each other. Instead, they moved on and met other people. They could have stayed firmly in each other's past, but in 2002, 24 years after Veronica was forced to return his engagement ring, Bruce happened to be in Hastings visiting his mum, Dorothy. I'd run into a friend of mine that I used to hang around with quite a bit. And I said to him, I said, one day I'm going to find Veronica and... Uh, just to see how she's doing and make sure she's okay and that. And he goes, oh, the last I heard, she's down either in Masterton or Carterton or down that way somewhere. I thought, oh, okay. That would have been like looking for a needle in a haystack. So I thought, well, hang on. Why not use a bit of Kiwi ingenuity and ring up the Carterton post office? And the person I spoke to, I explained the situation, and he says, well, as a matter of fact, he says, I know who you're talking about. I shouldn't do this, but here's the address. Write to her, and I wish you all the very best of luck. 
I went to the letterbox this particular day. I opened the lid, and there, I looked, and I looked again. I thought, I know that writing. And I picked it up, and I turned it over, and my heart just leapt, because my friend had found me. After all this time, he hoped that I was happy and that life was treating me well and that he remembers me with great fondness. The line that stuck out is that he'll always be my friend. I replied at two o'clock the next morning. Hi, my friend, how are you? Are you okay? I went to the letterbox one day. There was a, a letter in there. And I thought, hey, who's writing to me? And I, oh, perfume. I looked on it, and there was nothing on the on the back of it to say who it was from, but the perfume I recognised. And I thought, yes, there is a God. And I was like a rubber ball in a, in a square room. I was bouncing off every single surface that was around because I'd heard from her. It was like all that time we'd missed out on just had ceased to exist. It, it was like we were right back where we were in the beginning. While they were back in contact, Bruce and Veronica were both married and there was no question of getting back together. They were just happy to be back in touch. It was a couple of years after they reconnected before Bruce hopped on his motorbike and went to visit Veronica and her husband in Carterton. Seeing her for the first time in 26 years, he says, she was of course older and wiser, but still the same Veronica. Bruce and his wife visited a couple more times over the next few years. Then in 2012, 10 years after they re-established contact, their worlds changed again. Veronica's marriage broke down, and Bruce had separated from his wife. It was finally time, they decided, to give their love a chance. We were talking about everything, and then she says, come home. And home is always where the heart is, and my heart's always been wherever she was, and will always be that way. It was only then that Bruce asked the question that had been bothering him for years. Why did you stop writing to me, he asked. I never stopped writing to you, said Veronica. You stopped writing to me. They had stopped posting her letters to me and they were not giving my letters to Veronica. About a week after moving in, I says, you do realise I'd still... I still want to marry you. And she goes, what, marry me? I said, heck yeah. I said, it's all I've ever wanted in life. My heart had always remained with her. And of course, the inevitable answer became yes. <laughs> we can actually do this now and no one's going to take you away from me. I'd said to her, well, I think we need to go and look for a ring. So we'd gone in to the local jewellers here in Carterton and I said to the lady, what I'm looking for 
is a diamond and sapphire engagement ring, but it's got to be in a London Bridge setting. And she goes, hang on a minute. She goes out the back of the shop, brings out a cardboard box, and inside it had all these little display trays. And the first display tray she lifted out, here was the exact ring that I had just finished describing to her. And she goes to goes to me, is this what you mean? I says, that's it exactly. Took a few weeks, paid it off. Veronica and I went into the jewellers together. And I says, ring's paid for now. She says, we need to try it on for size. It went straight on. No sizing required. Fitted perfectly like it should have been there in the first place. And the only difference is, this one was $15 dearer than the original one I'd bought a 35 years previously. They got hitched on June the 17th, 2014. It was a Tuesday, 36 years to the day that we first met, 36 years from the start of our friendship. We got a second chance. It's destiny, it's fate, it's whatever term you want to use for it. Even to this day, she still makes me feel like I'm flying. She just makes me feel like life is worth living. You, you can't buy that. Our love has triumphed. I've got so many happy memories now, now that I'm married to Bruce. Everything we do, we do together. It's not Bruce or I, it's us. We don't do a part. We belong together forever. I've often said to him that when his time's up, I'm going to save a fortune on his funeral. And one day he said to me, but, but why? I said, simple. I won't need a funeral director. He says, why? I said, because I said, I'm taking you to the taxidermist. I can't Veronica says she will never get over the abuse she suffered during her years as a foster child and in state institutions, but she says she's learned to live with it. For many years now, she's worked as a caregiver in her local community. Many of the people she looks after, she says, are lonely or live alone. And because of what she went through as a child, she understands how simple it can be to help in some small way. Sometimes, she told me, she simply asks, would a cuddle make you feel better? Because, she says, sometimes all I ever wanted was a cuddle, and I never had it. Sadly, Veronica's experience in so-called state care is not unusual. For a 50-year period from the early 1940s up until 1992, when the government changed its policies, it's estimated that thousands of children were abused mentally, physically and sexually by the very people who were charged with keeping them safe. 
In 2008, the government set up a confidential listening and assistance service for those children, now adults of course. A panel headed by Judge Carolyn Henwood travelled around the country listening to the stories of more than 1,100 former state wards. Most of them sobbed uncontrollably as they told of the injustice of losing their childhoods. Yet, it's suspected they're just a fraction of the true number of children who were irreparably damaged. Veronica is one who never came forward. The listening service was confidential, so individual stories heard by the panel will never be made public. But the panel was allowed to report on any themes it picked up on, and the most blindingly obvious one was the overwhelming connection between state care and crime. A huge number of prison inmates and gang members have been through state care. When the listening service panel presented its report to the government in 2015, it was met with a steely response. It was announced there would be no public apology to the children involved, and there would be no public inquiry. But three years later, that's changed. On February the 1st this year, new Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced there will be a royal commission into historical state care abuse. Let's all watch this space. Some say love, it is a river that drowns Thanks so much to Veronica and Bruce for sharing their amazing story. If you go to our website, thelippodcast.kiwi, you'll find some photographs of them. And that's another episode of The Lip Done and Dusted. The Lip is a podcast of extraordinary true stories. I'm Megan McChesney. You can find all the episodes of The Lip on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at the website. Again, that's thelippodcast.kiwi. And if you love The Lip, please help spread the word by shouting out about it on social media or maybe sending a link of your favourite episode to a friend. You can also like us on Facebook and even leave a review there if you feel so inclined. So that's it from me. See you again soon. It's the heart afraid of breaking that never learns to And then
as a seed that with the sun's love in the spring becomes